Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Michael Kenneth Wicks, welcome back to the Ocean Protect podcast. Oh, thank you, Brad. It's good to be here, mate. Very good to be here. Hey, Mikey, how are you going, buddy? Yeah, good, JB. How are you, man? Mate, top of the world, literally, top of the world. And where are you calling from today? You look like you're in the office. Ocean Protect Turtle Room, the one and only. Yeah, nice spot to be. We've moved, mate. So you want to tell the listeners where the, uh, the head office is? Yeah, we moved out to uh, Lynn Parade at Preston's, right near, I suppose, where all the action is. A lot of our work's out here, a lot of growth, Western Sydney, the airport, uh, housing boom, a lot of large industrial sheds, a lot of new development taking place in Western Sydney. So that's um, where we are and, you know, close to our research sites as well and, and all manufacturing. So, yeah, look, it's a good move. You know, Alexandria was nice being near the grounds there, <laughs> always yeah. good, but this facility is about two and a half times the size and we, we certainly need the extra space for all the growth we've had in Ocean Protect over the last sort of three or four years. It's a special day uh, shortly. So we're, we're recording this eight days before Ocean Protect turns 20 years old. So we're talking to the original uh, Batman and Robin of Ocean Protect. 20 years, my goodness. Did you really think you'd, you'd make 20? Look, I thought very early on, back in the dream time, we were thinking about, you know, and I was thinking a lot about, you know, where this could be, where it could go. But it made sense. It made so much sense to me at the time. Wow, I was a stupid young 20-year-old. But to think that we can actually pollute our waterways and that's okay. Even back in 95, 96, I thought, no, this is not a, this is not a scenario that we can live with. So I always thought that, you know, we were doing the right thing. We weren't talking about a science that was too hard to explain. You know, you could you could really see the devastating effects firsthand. And I was like, you know, this is just a no-brainer. You know, this will certainly have to go places because how can anyone sit there and say, hey, I'm going to advocate for more pollution in the water? It just doesn't make mm. any sense. Day one of Ocean Protect, w- what does that even look like? Well, I'll tell you what, it was about 20 less kilos. Let me tell you that for sure. Um, <laughs> that's great. For me, it started with Ingle Environmental Services and working for Hayden, Hayden Wallace back in January 2002. And, and I just come on board as a, as a green engineer. I got dragged across and I got the word from a, a former mentor, Damien Egan, to come across and, 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 and work at this thing called Ingle Environmental Services. And it's really cool. And, you know, I knew I liked the environmental stuff. He goes, it'd be good fit for you. So I started and Within the first six months, there was this almighty changes. 
we basically in 5th of July formed what was IES, which was the, the company, but I was there six months before that. And I really had some questions about what I was going to do in my life, career, everything. It, you know, come around the 5th of July, it was, you know, do you want to stay in this whole stormwater thing and look after the environment or do you want to come over here to this big corporate beast and basically stay there. So I had some real decisions to make, especially around that 5th of July, what I was going to do with my career, my life and where I was going to go. And it wasn't probably until October, I suppose, in 2002 when I really made up my mind that I was you know, certainly going to stay. I love the environmental side. I love that actually you get up each day, win, lose or draw, you're still protecting the environment. That was a big thing for me um, at the time. Went through a lot of personal struggles up until that a couple of years before. So yeah, it was it was a real defining moment for me, sort of two thousand and two, and just working through. I suppose looking at staying life at Ocean Protect. It was it was quite bizarre, really, really strange. Joined the company, started doing more environmental stuff. Got married within six months of working out that I'm working for this company. The company merges with another company. You know, and it's sort of like my manager said at the time. I guess you can either come back to us because we'd like to have you here, or you can go off and do that. And um, I had some good chats with with Damien, another guy, Hayden Wallace, about what I should do and chat to the wife. And yeah, this is the path I chose. And I'm, I'm so happy that I did now. It's been so rewarding. And, and the irony of this, guys, is I I wasn't there at the start, but I do remember meeting Wixie because I think at that time you guys then got an office of Manly for a couple of months or six months or 12 months. It was at the back of Warringah Mall somewhere. Even before that, I remember meeting Mr. Mr. Brendan Poole. I remember working out of Brendan's bedroom. Um, that was sort of, you know, sort of uh, mid-end of July. So hang, hang on, backtrack. The start of this company was in some your mate's bedroom. Yeah, yeah, guy that um, that uh, Ingle Environmental Services did a deal with. Um, he was the director of the company, and he was sort of the chief there. And I was working out of his bedroom in um, is it Freshwater? Is that the big around? For- oh, look, a lot of stories. I'm sure that if that thing could talk, that place would have a lot of stories. But oh, well, um, that, yeah, that stayed in the sort of the family over in Sydney for a long time. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so basically, started out there just thinking, whoa, this is a bit different. And, you know, I'm from corporate sort of environment, fairly regimented, Brad, like you know spent four and a half years or whatever at Humes, you know, I was six months in Ingal, big established companies, a lot of protocol procedure. And, mm. and then I'm, I'm working at a, some guy's bedroom. Complete change and I open it to what I was used to. But I'm not foreign to that. I like my father had his own business. So I was sort of, you know, I understood how that sort of worked. And I was just like, well, you know, you just get on and do what you got to do, really. But it was that from June, July, August through to October when I got married on the 5th of October. Shout out to my lovely wife. Look, it was... Around that time, I really had to make the call. I'm grateful for Brennan for the, for the guidance he gave. And again, Damien and Aiden just chatting with these guys openly, honestly, about, you know, what we should do. And then it really just started to take off from there. We got an office in the back of Brookvale. We spent a few years there. And then the New Zealand side of the business started to take off because they got um, ARC approval over there. Um, had to do a few meetings and bits and pieces with some other guys. Um and that sort of the business started to take off. So a lot of the New Zealand guys in 2005 left. That was probably the darkest time for me and the company, probably 2005 to 2009. It was, and look, for some of us that can remember, going back to the GFC in 2008, oh, everyone just got absolutely smashed financially. And just having a very small team, there was only like two or three people at the time. There was nothing. So it was, it was very isolating back then. And again, stormwater was relatively new back then. There was no regulation in Queensland. 
Blacktown Council wasn't the council it was that we see today, nor was nor was Brisbane. It was a constant struggle and grind and yeah, quite somewhat depressing, I suppose, on that sort of dark period. I mean until Brendan left the business, which was unfortunate. So, you know, he wanted to go to something else, which is fine. You know, people move on, people come and go, but it was just it was a really hard and, and then sort of I suppose the dark days of, of Ocean Protect. So that's a long time. You said 2005 to 2009. So you're saying four years. Like you refer to it as the dream time, but that seems like a real dark period. Look, it was good and bad. I became a shareholder in 2007. That was great and because and, I really believed in what we did and I, I saw the real future of the business. But it was in some aspects isolating. And then, look, Jeremy can attest to this, you know, back in the early days, you know, 2009, 2010, um, You'd go and meet with councils in the morning or see an engineer. You'd um, answer some phones, do some quotes, and then you might build some cartridges, you know, after five o'clock and uh, pack up some orders and then and, and try and get them ready for the next day and, and organise your day that someone will be there when the truck arrives to pick stuff up. But around then too, try and fit in clean of the bathroom or the kitchen because it's like, you know, two or three blokes there. It wasn't the prettiest side. So it was sort of like a real, you know, hands-on of, of everything really. And it was... But that, that's small business, mate. You know, yeah. that, that, that it is. You, you just do what you got with what you've got in front of you. And I think when Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, the dream time, you, you couldn't help but laugh at it. You know, it, it, it's not like we're high rolling businessmen. We were, you know, one minute you'd be literally in a meeting, tie and, and suit and whatever. And next thing you know, you're back, you're taking that off and you're putting on stuff and going out and stalling it. And, you know, you, you are the one-stop shop. I mean, you don't have resources. But just on that, Mikey, a lot of that is driven by regulation. And at the time, there wasn't much regulation in Australia. So do, can you just explain what that means for us as a as an organisation? We, we think regulation in is piecemeal now. Was um, Look, there was that headline statement from the EPA, you know, you, know, you can't pollute your waterways in bits and pieces and things like that. But there was no real rock-solid water-sensitive urban design documentation that you could really rely on. There was no state-based regulation in Queensland. There was nothing. Mm. There was minimal guidance material. Capacity building, what's that? This is a new cool word. You know, let's use, sort of throw this around a bit. But there, it was it was very raw and every single council was different. And it was the conversations as well. We've got like, there's things in the stormwater that we've got to somehow remove. And I oh, know that's what gross pollutant traps are for. And, you know, that was a sort of new big thing. But talking to people about nutrients suspended solids from stormwater management perspective they like looked at it i swear they thought i was from mars i think some people really it was quite foreign there's a lot of education back then a heap of education and it was yeah it was just quite profound when you think about it and pre-days of podcasts webinars you know uh, youtube videos it was face to face doing the face to face face to face to even try and get on a job so you might have we might have had a technology, and for some reason, they'd allow you know the big guys to be approved. Humes and uh, Humes and Rockler, they were the big guys back in the day. They had some level of testing. They were the number one guys, but we couldn't even go out and sell it because the contract would be like, "Are you are you allowed to use this thing?" No, you know, like we had to jump through hoops just to even try and get some sales to keep it going, you know, because there was no regulation, there was no standards to allow ourselves to a pathway forward. It was the early days of, I guess, of, of water-sensitive urban design in Australia, really, and going, well, how are we dealing with our stormwater, whether it's bioretention, whether it's wetlands, whether it's proprietary devices. It really goes back to that sort of early days of GPTs in Western Sydney with that grant money that really got it going. 
And look, there was a lot of discussions with Jim Lenhart, we've heard on the podcast, uh, Mr. Stormfielder, um, and the guys at Contech and Stormwater Management back then. And there was lots of conversations about, you know, this is where we're at and what we're doing. And it was great to use them as a sounding board. Hey, well, you know, we gun about yeah. things the right way here. This yeah. is, you know, is is this what you expect? And, and, and everything that we were sort of going through was the same things they'd been through. And they were like, don't worry, you'll come out the other side, you know, this and that, you can, you can, you'll get all this to work. So we had a lot of discussions and a lot of mentoring from those guys as well, which was really invaluable to sort of get the thing going. But, but once we hit 2010, and, and I was saying this all the way along, once we hit 2010, um, the company really changed. And it really just grew. It just exploded out of the regulation in Queensland, really. Same time as the regulation was happening in Queensland, regulation was happening here in Sydney. And it was just that that, that right time for everything to sort of come together. You said that, or I think around 2010, correct me if I'm wrong, that was the time when Queensland introduced its state planning policy, which basically specified that new development above a certain size or threshold had to achieve certain targets in relation to solids and nutrient and gross pollutant removal rates. And all of a sudden, it was a mandatory requirement in Queensland, at least. And then subsequent, or about the same time, other local governments in Eastern Australia adopted fairly similar targets. So essentially, you had to do something like what you guys were doing or alternative solutions. Is that a fair summary? Absolutely. Everything lined up at the at the right time. So we did a field study in 2005 in conjunction with James Cook Uni. They did some monitoring. We did some monitoring to about 2008. 2009, Water by Design was sort of floating around, providing some materials. They provided the draft, the music modeling guidelines. I think 2009, 2010, we knew that was around. State policy comes into effect about mid-2010. And then it was, I think it was the 15th of September, 2010, we got a journal published so we comply with the music modeling guidelines. State policy was in and it was just, and it literally the phone started ringing and it hasn't stopped. And, and it just went from there. It went from, you know, piecemeal work here and there. But we'd been doing work in, in, in Brisbane for a while before that, like 2002 with Suncorp Stadium, I think it was. We put those two systems in there. So we do doing a little bit, but it really, it really changed and turned. At that point, and Mikey, I'm not sure if we've told this story before on the podcast, but but Brad, it really did come down to like we had some big approvals. Well, we had an approval in Blacktown City Council. We were convincing not only the engineers to go with us, but the developers were, were you know they were relying on us getting an approval through Blacktown, and and we not only needed it just so we could deliver what we said we were going to deliver to our clients. But we needed it to keep the doors going. You know, we really needed this project to get some money in. We're talking about timing. I mean, without regulation, our industry wouldn't be sustainable. We're holding on to the very end, and there's some very funny stories we may or may not be able to tell, but there was a real struggle there, and, and we were lucky enough that we were a little bit on that curve, you know, with the help of Comtech, our mentors, and Jim, and those early days of, of struggling through, they've been there, they've done that. It was a great time because finally we could actually go out there, put our systems in, maintain our systems, see how they were operating, make them better and, and really start to look at not only what we can do for the industry but what we can do internally for ourselves. You know, that's really when, you know, we had some money to start doing more research and investing more money back into the company and we haven't stopped. That's been our philosophy for 14 years. If we don't reinvest in what we're doing, we're going to be behind that next curve that that always will come. 
I'm actually curious to say, when, when did Jeremy come on board? I, I must admit I thought he was there on day one. But uh, Wait, oh, Hey, hold on. I'm way younger than Wixie. Hey, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, He's having to be kind. <laughs> Certainly not better looking, Brad. Certainly not. No. I started in 2006 in New Zealand, and I started literally building cartridges. And, and I worked for one company for two and a half years, Pierce Hill, who's now a mentor and great friend. Peers. Then I started a chocolate machine company over in Sydney, and then oh, that didn't go too well. So after sort of two years of fluffing around with that, it didn't have the biggest market capitalization that I was after. So I was back in Auckland, and Mike Hannah and Greg Yeoman, actually, they own Stormwater 360 in New Zealand. They gave me an opportunity there, and um, I'd spent a couple of years there before, I must have been 2009, uh, 2008. Yeah, it was the end of the dark days, JB, 2009. Yeah, I came over and started working with Mike. But at that time, basically had to let everybody go one by one until it was Mike and myself. And uh, that, that were the dark days. That's what Mike's, you know, talking about. We, we just had no money, no approvals, no regulation. But that's when we rebranded. And uh, thanks to Contech, um, they kindly gave us their American trademark name, Stormwater 360. And I mean, at the time for us to produce merchandise and brochures and stuff, it was a huge cost we didn't have to bear. We took all their, you know, brochures material. And they, again, going back to how we were assisted, we had help buy a license all over in the States. You know, they, they, it was instrumental. So that's, I guess, when we started to see a bit of regulation, certainly up in Queensland and New South Wales, we started to grow. The first year when we bought it, uh, end of the year, we did not make any money. In fact, we went backwards. And uh, I remember looking at Mike, Pete, and myself and going, oh, we made the right call here, guys. <laughs> we worked pretty hard this year, made no money. We made the right call. It was crazy. And, and see, Brad, I was quite okay with it because I'd made no money for years. So I was actually <laughs> quite comfortable with that fact. And I was just thinking, wow, we've just, yeah, we've still got a job and we're post GFC. This is awesome. So, um, and hey, guys, don't worry about it. You know, it's, we didn't win this year, but we'll, we'll win next year. Don't worry about it, sort of thing. And yeah, we did. Yeah, next really? year. Yeah, we, that year two, year three, year four. And then that's why at the start of this podcast, I said, Mike, you know, where, where's our head office now? I mean, we've moved how many times since then? I mean, we went Parowina oh, Road. Wow. Um, which yeah. Was next, yeah, that was in a dubious area of Quinella. We went from there, we went to three places in Botany or two places in Botany. Stevens Road, Botany. Yeah. Um, went to Banks Meadow, then we went across to Huntley Street, Alexandria, and then now at Preston. So, but, it, but every time the facilities just get bigger and bigger and bigger, and they usually double or triple in size every time you move. So, yeah. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So, so today, Michael, what is Ocean Protect now? Look, it's a lot of things. It really is. To be successful in selling engineering product and, and making a difference environmentally, you need three key attributes. You need the best people, and I think we do have the best people. And I, and I said this the other day when we had a company presentation. We've got a fantastic team of people, a lot of experienced engineers and scientists, very confident in their ability, and great people too, really, really lovely people. So we've got 45 people at Ocean Protect, which is, I think some people will be probably surprised at. I think we've got a great technology base. We do have the best technology, and we believe that for a long time, you know, because we've done a lot of the research and we see that. But we also have some of the best research and, and data collection in the business. The best people, the best technology, the best products to really make Ocean Protect what it is today. You need the best people to, you know, sell it, maintain it, install it, all that. You need, as Jeremy said, you're going to have the best technology. But if you don't have the data, you don't have the approvals. You don't have the approvals, you can't get approved on the DAs. You, you know, you need all those three things working in unison. To have two out of the three, you will not be successful. You need all three at the same time just to make it work. Yeah, and just on the, on the data, just to clarify for the listeners who's wondering what data we're talking about, we actually do undertake a whole bunch of performance monitoring of our devices in the real world to demonstrate essentially that they work and how well they work. But in terms of the data, in terms of installations and how much pollution they we estimate they remove, the numbers are pretty staggering. Like we've installed over 55,000 assets across Australia. We stop roughly around eight tonne of pollution on average every day, eight ton per day in Australia. From that's pollution is being stopped from entering our waterways. So for stormwater pollution, which was almost not a thing, uh, or at least wasn't on the, the the minds of many people twenty years ago, to be doing eight tons a day worth, that's pretty impressive. And I think if I look at the numbers again, we've probably stopped about fifteen thousand ton of pollution since day one, which is a, an incredible achievement really it's staggering really but i guess numbers aside michael and, and jeremy what are you guys sort of most proud of you know you've been doing this thing for a while i, I reckon to, i reckon to wixie's point where we've built a business and and we employ the best people we're still going you know as mike said it started 20 years ago and we've made a difference we get up and go to work and 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 have a company that achieves really good outcomes you know hand on heart to be also on the, on the forefront of what we're doing as an industry, we need to grow as an industry as well. Mate, you know, it's the best job in the world. People say, you know, what do you do? Well, we stop pollution going into the waterways. Um, it doesn't get any better than that. There's so many positives that make you proud about Ocean Protect when you really pull all the layers back and, and, and look at everything. It, you know, and I was completely clueless 20 years ago, really about, I suppose, how fulfilling this role could be at Ocean Protect. You think about it, environmentally, we're just stopping tons and tons of pollution going into our waterways. And we do that more efficiently than, than, than beach cleanups and than anything else I sort of see out there. You know, we have a real high ethical standard, which I think that people don't understand from the outside. They just think, oh, they're just a manufacturer with a conflict trying to sell product. But ethically, we always take the high road. We've got a heap of technologies installed out there. We've turned over in excess of probably $100 million by now. I'm pretty sure we're very close. As you said, 55,000 technologies. 
we got 25, 30% maintained under contract, which is good and bad. We'd always like to see more, but we know that's probably at the forefront of the industry, having that many units maintained. So we know we are actually making a real good, meaningful difference. And, you know, the social benefit we get of a company that's an environmental company that's making money, that's paying us taxes, that's providing schools, roads, hospitals, together with protecting the environment and providing all the people that work for us a better life. I think it's, it, for me, it is, you know, astoundingly fulfilling that we can be in such a position, such a privileged position to provide this for the guys that work for us. Also, the technical capabilities of the company. All the research is done in-house. Again, people wouldn't see this. And I remember talking to you the other day, Brad, and just saying about, we're just talking about some of the initiatives we were rolling off that we were doing with R&D at Ocean Protect. And you said, look, if any one of our competitors had just one of these, they'd be doing car wheels. They'd be so excited. And, and we've got half a dozen initiatives on the ball right now. But I think the most proud thing is the people. We've met some great people, some great individuals throughout this journey. And yeah, they're really inspiring, especially when back in the dark days that we didn't think everything and, you know, we, we were a bit worried about where it was and the people we've met throughout the industry and worked with and you know, and a lot of people say, oh, you know, you know, well, we value our people. And I think half of it's just, just all marketing. I think, you know, we give away 3% of our revenue for bonuses each year. We do that because we genuinely care about our people. We used to give our guys gym memberships and we provide lunches and just, just little things here and there. But there's a real sort of, I suppose, family business feel to the medium-sized enterprise that is Ocean Protected. And I think you, you look, I'm biased. I think it's a great place to work. Yeah, well, um, what do you think, Brad? Tell me, Brad. Yeah. What do you think about that? Oh, I think it's, I, I agree. Uh, look, I'm not, I wouldn't, I'm not telling you this to uh, try and keep my job either, uh, but it is, a, it is a fantastic place to work. I think Michael, I, I think I had my review last week and I think I said the same thing. It, it is a, it is a great job. Whenever I get the opportunity to talk about my job, it, it is, it's clear that how fulfilling and, uh, it is and how passionate we all are in relation to what we do. We literally, you know, stop a, a stack of pollution going around waterways, but we see it firsthand. It's just not a number on a page, but we see the, gunk, the litter, the microplastics, the dirt, and all this attached to pollutants associated with that. you know. And I think a lot of the time people don't even think what we do is even possible. I was talking to someone on the weekend and I was talking about, okay, well, where do you think number one source of microplastics is? And they were like, oh, you know, face masks. I'm like, no, it's vehicle tire wear and tear. And they're like, well, what can you do about that? You know, what do we do? Put a filter on the road? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, we can. And that's exactly what we do uh, when given the opportunity, when regulate dictates it and, and we see what we pull out of those filters. So, And we do have a range of technologies, whether it's at source, roadside gully pit baskets or removing sediment and litter or the really fancy underground technologies, the cartridges that remove a whole bunch of very, very fine dissolved pollutants, which we know it can cause a lot of damage, but um, a lot of people just wouldn't even think it would be possible to remove. And then we've got a whole bunch of you know vegetated solutions, which remove pollution and, and provide a sort of self-watered landscape environment, which looks good, tracks the provides habitat, et cetera. So there's a real range of solutions. But for me, the, the real excitement, uh, I guess it's two things, actually, the education advocacy we do. For, for a small company, 45 people, it's incredible what we do in terms of, you know, not just a lot of people obviously listen to this podcast, but we do a stack of webinars. I think we've had about 2,500 attendees, 1,500 listen on YouTube, you know, very, very technical stuff specifically targeted at our professionals. We're always providing submissions to the regulators and, and liaising with in individuals about lifting the standards in our industry. 
But for me, the real exciting thing is what we're looking to do in the future. There is so much potential uh, to do more within Ocean Protect. And, you know, Mike's touched on the fact that we've got all these sort of research and development sort of things going on. That is super exciting from my perspective. So I think moving forward, Ocean Protect is significantly changing the game of protecting our oceans for the better. And for me, that's a real positive. You can get so down in the dumps talking about the environment and the state of affairs. It can be extremely depressing, but when you're actually providing a real positive benefit, um, that certainly puts wind in all our sails and helps us charge on and keep going, basically. So yeah, it's, and, and and to your point, Michael, like it's not just sort of that work; it's it's the people as well. You know, every like you, we were caught up in Sydney last week. It was just a fantastic, fantastic atmosphere. Everyone's like you said, really genuinely friendly. You know, it's a real diversity of individuals. How many different countries work for Ocean Protect, you know, within the office? You know, old guys, young guys, men, women, different cultures, et cetera. Uh, it's fantastic. And everyone's really friendly and good fun. So then basically to anyone that's listening, if you're, if you're a passionate environmentalist, if you um, think you can make a contribution to Ocean Protect, Brad, I mean, it was pretty unbiased by you, mate, I have to admit, but it is a, a wonderful place to work at. And um I suggest if anyone's keen, they should jump on the website and get in touch because it is an exciting organisation and you can actually make a difference on a daily basis. So It's amazing number of people that listen to this podcast, number one, but also number number two, that people really want to get a job doing this sort of stuff, you know, protecting the environment. And I think the best way to do it is just reach out to guys who are providing those opportunities and we certainly are. I, I've been with the company three and a half years, haven't looked back, and I... Would love to have more people come along and jump jump on and help us out, basically. So yeah, reach out. But look, it's not it's not a it's not a recruitment podcast. Moving forward, actually, well, what what is the future plans? What is the grand? What is the vision for Ocean Protect in the years to come? Look, I said this the other day. I, I'd be surprised if if we don't double in the next three to five years. There is so much exciting growth. Everyone will see it in the next 12 months, the amount of initiatives we've got rolling through the door right now from, from all the work we were doing over the last five years, the amount of technology that's sort of coming onto the market and the traction we're getting, especially in that high-flat bioretention phase and space, which is typically where manufacturers don't play. We've had some fantastic results and we're going to see the fruits of that success. You know, We started that many, many years ago, 2017, I think it was, we started with that. So there's a real excitement and drive and I saw this in the company the other day I haven't seen a company so full of enthusiasm and passion excitement and as I said I think we'll double in the next three to five I really do there's so many initiatives coming online and people are so passionate and people you wouldn't think different walks of life and different cultures but everyone's really really excited about what the future holds it's certainly different to a lot of companies that, that I've worked in but for me Ocean Protect will be much bigger than what it is today. The vision, the goal, you know, I'd love to see um, walk in the office one day, uh, whether it be in Sydney or Melbourne and people don't know who I am. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> that means we've probably grown, you know, to, to, a, to a really nice scale. So, yeah, there's just everything we look at and, and then what we've been doing over the last few years is just all positive. So I'm just super excited about what this is going to turn into. Jeremy, any grandiose vision that you'd like to share? I think I think you said it before, but from a from a regulation, from an advocacy point of view, I'm really proud of what Ocean Protect have done and, and continue to do. I think about what we've done to educate councils around, you know, maintenance. For instance, you've got 
organisations like Blacktown, for instance, that are leading the way. But we're out there communicating what, what can be done, not only the work we do with the Ocean Protect, but, you know, industry associations. Mm. But to go out and see us grow as an industry, and let's face it, we had to grow. Um, this issue was just smacking us in the face harder and harder, and it was getting a lot of world attention, you know, ocean pollution and how is it all getting there. So that public pressure's come on that we, we have to be doing better, guys. We know where this pollution's coming from. Like we know that the biggest contributor of microplastics is coming from roadways. We know that if you regulate roadways, you'll, you'll stop that, you know. Now, we're not there yet um, in Australia. We're not there yet in, in maintaining all the assets that are, are out in, in the um, ground. And I think together with our industry, the next two to five years looks very, very exciting because along with what Ocean Protected doing, as an industry, we're also growing and we're really starting to ask each other the hard questions like, well, why aren't we doing this? Because it's clearly polluting our waterways and, and more and more people are getting their head around it and it's a, it's a complicated industry. Stormwater is complex. It goes over physical boundaries, political boundaries, and certainly when it comes to local government, state government, federal government in Australia, uh, that can be somewhat um, hard to get everyone together. So I think as an industry, and it's not just been Ocean Protect, but I certainly think that we are a key driver um, in moving our industry forward, and, and that's something I'm, you know, we look forward to continuing to do. And it would be great if we could say, hey, all the devices that everyone owns whether they're proprietary or not proprietary, are all getting maintained in the next two to five years because that would make a really massive tangible outcome to the amount of pollution that we're stopping entering our creeks, rivers and oceans. So we're not there yet, but we're close. Yeah, and I think there'll be a real step change, you know, in the industry. You know, we need regulation in the industry, you know, effectively maintaining devices. And you think about it, we, you know, we're happy that, you know, or should we actually really be happy that we're only maintaining 30% of our assets? So what we're really saying is it's okay not to maintain 70% that's out there. And that's why I think the, you know, Ocean Protect will be much bigger than what it is in the next three to five. I think that that regulation will change. The amount of devices that are out there at the moment, at least 70% of our own, is probably more for everyone else. Mm. It could be 80%, 85% of technology is not receiving any maintenance at all. That changes the industry changes as well and it changes and makes a meaningful difference to the problem. So I think we're really on the cusp of seeing that change. Just through different councils and different bodies and the work they're doing, I think we're right on the edge. Yeah, but like like Sir Jeremy indicated, that change doesn't happen just by by chance. That change, particularly in relation to, I guess, that improved understanding of, hey, what pollution is on the ground goes in our waterways and oceans. Uh, the the other issue of these assets, these stormwater treatment assets that are in the field, the vast majority of them are getting maintained. You know, the, you know Ocean Protect is maintaining 30% of our assets, but the, that proportion of assets being maintained is much, much, much lower uh, for other assets. That change in that space, from my perspective, is driven primarily by Ocean Protect. In the absence of Ocean Protect, getting on a, on a stage or picking up picking up a podcast microphone or doing a webinar or talking to regulators, getting you know talking to councillors, politicians, regulators, etc. That change doesn't happen in the absence of Ocean Protect driving that change. To do that advocacy, to do that education, you need a sustainable business. And I think we're in a very, very fortunate, but also a very, very powerful and effective position to drive that change because we are in a sustainable business. Do we have a vested commercial interest in ensuring our oceans and waterways are appropriately protected? Absolutely. We don't shy away from that, but and we're also actually very, very proud of it. 
100%. And I just want to hit the nail on the head when it comes to things we've got to change. Like we in the industry call it the maintenance of stormwater quality devices. Well, for the most people out there listening to that, you'd be like, well, what, what do you mean by maintain? Well, what we mean is the removal of hazardous waste out of these underground rubbish bins. The hazardous waste is what we're removing. So when we say maintain something, that's only what we say in the industry, but in what, what, what we're physically doing is removing the pollution out of the devices and stopping that from entering our waterways. And we as an industry need to start framing it that way because otherwise it, it just, it's not saying it correctly. So a little thing at the end just to um, clarify maintenance, I guess. Mm, very good. Look, we probably need to land this plane, gentlemen. It's been a wonderful and exciting chat. Congratulations are in order. 20 years in this business. Look, whilst we touched on the dark days uh, and uh, and the great work that we do do, it's it's obviously has its challenges. And uh, from my perspective, you seemingly have overcome them all. So, and that's and that's not an easy task. So, well done. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to uh, seeing what everyone achieves over the next 20 years. Thanks, guys. It's good. It's nice. It's good to chat. Boom, boom, shake the room. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.